Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Hey, welcome back to the epic narrative. Thank you once again for that amazing introduction. <laughs> I do. I love my team. I really do. I can't tell you how awesome it is to have such wonderful people around you. And I hope, honestly, that all of you know what it's like to have wonderful people around you. I really, really do. Because it is it is such a blessing. It's a blessing continually in my life. Now, uh, at, at the time of this recording, uh, which is um, in the month of February of the year 2022. Uh, I am currently sitting in the back of my pickup truck, in the back seat of my pickup truck, and we are on the road. Now, some of you, uh, if you're following me live on uh, in my life, you know this because I've been posting all about it, but I'm sitting out here and it's raining and it's just kind of a bizarre, cool little moment sitting in the back seat of my truck doing this but uh who knows where i'll be when you're actually listening to this because uh i don't know where i'll be when you're actually listening to this but i do know this i appreciate you listening <laughs> oh no i i uh i remember uh the title of last week's episode was almost raped and i didn't really ex- uh expound on that much um, I might have in my afterthoughts regarding it, but once again, like the the rape, rape is all about the destruction of innocence and the execution of power, like the uh, or the exertion of power, and that's what had happened to Joseph. He was almost raped physically, but he was raped of his innocence. He was he was he's innocent, and that's where we pick up. Uh, here in chapter forty of, of the of the book of Genesis. Now I you know I think we're gonna, we'll we'll deal with this chapter. It shouldn't take us long. I, it, it's a, it's a pretty standard story in the life of Joseph. Pretty much what 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 are you laughing at? Bob's over here laughing. It won't take long, right? You're right. I I don't know. I I think that because I I just think it's it's not that long of a story. It's like whatever twenty verses long. Okay. <laughs> I know, I know. It's the worst thing. Bob's like, you know, every preacher who goes overtime starts out with the phrase, "I'm only, I'm not going to be here very long today. <laughs> I'm not going to keep you here long today." Or the preacher who keeps saying, "Okay, my closing thought. Just one more thought before we go." I know, I know. I am, I am a preacher at heart, and uh, <laughs> I probably will go long. No, I won't go long. I keep looking at my notes going, this is not going to take long. But I also know that's not a good plan. All right, so we'll just see how long we go. That's a good phrase. We'll see how long this takes, but we've we've got a relatively short chapter. We'll see how long it takes. Uh, Chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer. Wait, sometime later, you know I'm going to stop there. If you've listened to me at all, you know how important time is in in the writing of Scripture. Sometime equals about nine years. What? It's true. Nine years he's been in prison. Now, at last stop, we saw that every time or everywhere he went, 
people were blessed, right? And it said that the warden didn't care about anything that was going on in the jail or in the prison because Joseph was in charge. So the warden has had nine years of semi-retirement. He goes into work, hangs out with his friends, goes out for a bagel, comes back in, uh, you know, checks his email, leaves again, goes for a long lunch along the wharf, comes back, checks in uh, with uh, the secretary, meets with a couple of dignitaries, walks away. I mean, honestly, this guy has been living the life since Joseph showed up. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him. He literally hasn't had to worry about a thing. He, you know, he has some, he has some, uh, uh, what do I say, ceremonial things he has to do because, you know, he takes care of all the political prisoners. He takes care of the important people that have gotten trouble, ambassadors and merchants and and uh, sea captains and generals and uh, politicians and counselors and psychics, all of whom have offended the Pharaoh in some way. And the Pharaoh would send him away to prison because he had to, because he was, quote, a god, and he couldn't be wrong. So even if the people were innocent, they had to be taken care of, you know, they, they had to be put in prison because he said so. And he couldn't he couldn't bring them back out without some sort of, uh, you know, literal uh, format of some sort of spiritual enlightenment because he couldn't be wrong. He was a god. So it was, he was, he, you know, his, his prison was one that uh, really bent to the will of the Pharaoh. And Joseph ran it. And Joseph ran it under the guise of, of the captain of the king guards, in, in other words, Potiphar. Potiphar, the prison was under Potiphar's rule. So the fact that Potiphar brought Joseph to the prisoner, to the prison again, was a big fat deal. It made it clear who he believed. It made it clear that Joseph was supposed to be cared for. And now the fact that he oversees the prison was of no surprise to Potiphar. And Potiphar probably knew, listen, this is the best life I could give you given what is going on. And if my wife was a nobody, I would have never done it. And I have a feeling Potiphar had spent probably a lot of time with uh, with Joseph. He probably stopped by and saw him on, a, on the regular. It was his prison to, to oversee. I mean, the warden would have said, uh, you know, whatever, just you should see what Joseph's doing. Well, maybe I'll stop by and say hi. Maybe I'll come by and uh, see how things are going at the prison. And, and I'm sure Joseph would have been in those meetings. He would have been called to the office. He would have sat down. I'm sure Potiphar probably said to him, I, I'm sure of this. Now, again, it's not in the in the writings, but I can totally see this happening where Potiphar would have would have made it known to Joseph, listen, this is the best life I can give you for right now. I can't bring you back because my wife is a high priest's daughter. And if I accuse her of lying, then I'll, you know, I'm going to be in, in prison. I can't upset the high priest because he has as much pull and sometimes more pull with Pharaoh than I do. And I'm not going to start a war over this. So I'm doing the be- I've done the best I can for you given the circumstances. I mean, there was no judge or jury. There, there was no, no court system for him to go through. The decision had been made. So innocent or not, it didn't matter. He had the best life he could. And for nine years, he's been in prison. Now, I do know that this ruins the whole orange or apple tree that grows from the crack in the ground and the uh, Academy Award-winning or Grammy Award-winning song that was written about Joseph in the prison and 
how the water drips down through the hole and waters the plant. And by the time he's out of prison, you know, it's a full bloom and there's all kinds of oranges and yada, yada, yada. It's a beautiful, beautiful song and beautifully displayed and wonderfully written. And, and I love the whole cartoon. I just, it's just not in the Bible, but that's okay. It's okay. It's a beautiful thing. You can hang on to your picture from the from the Prince of, of Egypt, if that's what you want. It, it really, really is. I'm not, I, again, I don't mean to ruin it. I just want to deal with what I know is written here in the scripture. So <laughs> Bob's like screaming in the background. No, you did it. Ah, what am I going to do? My childhood. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. Life's rough sometimes when you when you're faced with the facts. <laughs> oh, glory. Nine years. And everything in the prison, like, feels good. As as I mean, I know at the end of the day, you're still in prison. I get that. But the, the prisoners are well cared for. They are well fed. The, the prison is clean. There is the... the general atmosphere is one of of peace and some level of hope and I'll I'll illustrate I think that's illustrated in this chapter pretty clearly uh there's there's a there's a place of of rest that occurs it's it's a fascinating atmosphere Oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> I hit the off button. Oh my gosh, I don't even know where I where I landed. I don't even know. This is what I know. And so some of this might be repeated. Brian, you might have to clean this up a little bit. Um, but when you're in a place where, where, well, not when you, if you if you stay connected to heaven's perspective, then you will always carry with you heaven's perspective on your circumstances. So your interaction with your circumstances is going to be from a place of love and hope and joy and peace and and freedom and grace and love. I already covered that one. Grace and, and kindness and humility. And all of this is going on in the prison. Why? Because Joseph is in charge and Joseph understands what it's like to be in a place of favor. He understands heaven's perspective on what's going on. It doesn't mean that he suddenly thinks, well, God did this to me. And we see that later on in the in the chapter. But he but he understands his circumstances for what they are. And he doesn't he doesn't try to uh whine and complain his way out of it. He he lives a life of of connection to heaven and he interacts with the circumstances accordingly. And so everyone around him is blessed. Everyone in that prison is blessed because of, of Joseph and they all know it. And at some level, there's a, there's a large chunk of humility that comes from the warden over for the, for the last nine years, he lets somebody else, literally a prisoner run the prison because he knows it's being done better. And I've got to give him huge props for that because I very seldom have found a a leader who is humble enough to let somebody who's a better leader run their show. And 
Usually it's it, it just comes down to ego. They're afraid that somebody else is gonna get credit. So they just they just keep in essence using the person and and keeping them hemmed in or caged in. It's like this guy's amazing, he's talented, or she's amazing and she's talented, but we're not gonna let her really take off. We're not gonna really let him have great influence in the decisions that are being made because if we do, somebody's gonna know that. I'm not running the show. Do you understand the warden's humility in stepping back and saying, you know what? This guy ran Potiphar's house. I know this. Potiphar brought him here, and I I, I watched him. And within months, everything this guy touched was better. Everyone this, this guy interacted with was better. I'm going to let him run. I mean, he literally let him run the prison. Nine years this has been going on. I, I got to give this guy huge props for this. I, I don't know him. I don't know what, what gods or idols or whatever he might have worshipped, but the man had a sense of humility. He understood and recognized people's giftings and the favor the, the favor of, of the, we'll just call it the favor of the gods. They might not have known who, who Joseph worshipped, but it was clear to them that there was a spiritual connection. And I say them because Potiphar recognized it as did Potiphar's wife, and now the warden. They recognize the spiritual favor that comes on Joseph and anybody who lets him take off with the with the authority to run things, and he let him do that to the prison, which is just awesome. And a lesson for a lot of people uh, who are in leadership, because I believe God will bring you people who have greater skills than you so that you can you can release them into a greater place of favor and you will reap the benefits of that. You don't think the warden reaped the benefits of a prison that's so well run? You don't think that he, he saw, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say promotions, I don't know, you know, raises in his, in his uh, money or, or uh, increase in his land and his flocks because the prison is being run so well, there are fights breaking out, people aren't being abused. The, the Pharaoh's happy. Anybody who comes, uh, you know, uh, other ambassadors that come to observe it, come and observe a prison where everybody is calm, everybody stays in, in the jail. I, I mean, I, it's, it's fascinating what could have happened here. And probably something that is uh, uh, often overlooked in the story is this whole gamut of impact that Joseph has had for years in the prison. Then, <laughs> Bob's like, yeah, verse two, Bob. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> you said this was gonna be short. I know I did, I know. And <laughs> we've gone, uh, what, 15 minutes and we're still, we're still on verse two. Okay, okay, you, your point is well taken. Thank you so much. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, Potiphar, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard, Potiphar, assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Uh, sorry, lost my place. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker in the, in the, of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. Each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw they were dejected. So here we go. This is where this is where I'm talking about the atmosphere of heaven that was seen, and 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 
in, uh, not just seen, but, but lived in by the prisoners. Joseph had created a place of love and hope and grace, and, and uh, it's a place where people could dream. You don't get that in an atmosphere that, that is filled with disappointment, rejection, abuse. It's, it's tough to dream in a place like that. And I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying it's very difficult. It's very difficult. But Joseph had created a, an atmosphere in that prison, not because he changed the rules, which so many people want to do, right? They all want to legislate. They all want to change the laws to force people to do things. Joseph changed the atmosphere just by being himself and staying connected to to heaven, staying connected to the character of God. We can throw this all the way back to the beginning, staying connected to his true identity and understanding that he picked up through the training of his Uh, the spiritual training of his grandfather, Abraham, who was trained by Noah, who knew Adam. This, This whole deal, this whole deal goes back to identity. Joseph understood who he was. He understood who he was created to represent on this planet. And he stayed connected in the spiritual realm to that place. And it impacted everyone that came in contact with them. So the cupbearer and the and the uh, baker are thrown in prison. Now, tradition says the cupbearer was thrown in because there was a fly in the wine, in, in the cup of wine that the pharaoh was drinking from. So I don't know, uh, you know, again, I don't know if that's true, but I get it. And the, and the pharaoh just throws him in prison. Now, that seems a little harsh, but I guess when you're, uh, you know, an egomaniac, <laughs> a narcissist, somebody who thinks they're a god. You don't put up with stuff like, like this. It's fascinating to me that someone like Potiphar was still employed. Like when you're working for somebody of that level of of narcissism, narcissistic behavior, uh, uh, it's it's got to be insane, right? You you just you constantly have to be careful. So somehow. Potiphar's maintaining that, but the cupbearer, a fly got in the cup probably well after he had tasted it and handed it to Pharaoh. Pharaoh puts the cup down, a fly flies in there, and that is his job. His job is to protect the Pharaoh from any sort of infection because we don't want Pharaoh to die. So he's in trouble. He's thrown in prison. And the the baker, tradition says that the baker allowed a stone into the bread flour. And so it was, it, it just happened to be in a piece of bread that the Pharaoh was eating. And he bit on a stone and he was thrown to prison. Because you see, especially, you know, uh, back then, given the medical community that they were in, if you got an infection in your in your mouth and it went septic, you were like you were done. You were dead. You they knew you you can't be chipping your teeth, and it's not like they had dentists. And I mean, they they I know that they had some actually kind of crazy ways that they would brush their teeth and kind of clean up, but but it's not to the level that we are today. And it's fascinating to me, uh, you know, that they knew you can't be chipping your teeth on a on a piece of rock. So. Anyways, these two guys are in prison. 
And they give it to, again, they give them to Potiphar, in essence. Potiphar passes them off to the warden. Warden brings them in, and he's like, make sure they go under Joseph. Make sure he's the one overseeing them. And warden's like, absolutely, I'll make sure that happens. Now, pretty much everyone was under Joseph's uh, care at this point because that's what Joseph did. He took care of all the prisoners at the prison. But these two were specially placed in his care, probably because Potiphar understood that the pharaoh was a little out of line by sending them both to prison for such a minor offense. But you couldn't counteract the, the pharaoh because that would mean your death sentence. So he just sends them in. He's like, make sure, make sure they go to Joseph's prison. He'll take care of them. So it says some time later, which means about a year. So this is the 10th year for Joseph. But he had made a place in that prison where people could still dream. And he, he made a place where people had a relationship. He, he was a type of leader who, unlike, you know, if you've watched Narcos on, uh, on Netflix, right, and you see the the drug lords that get put in prison and they they take over the prison and they, they do it through force and they do it through violence and they get all that going on. Joseph ran the prison from a completely different uh, paradigm. But everything that went on in the prison, Joseph knew about. So much so that that he would check in on everybody and he would see everybody and he, he could recognize the countenance in other words, he he understood when their faces didn't look good in the morning. He walks by in the morning and he saw that they were dejected. They had had a dream and they're confused. Now, I do, I understand that dreams are a language of heaven. And I understand that there are many um, <laughs> approaches to the way to interpret dreams. I happen to take an approach to interpreting dreams where all dreams are good. All dreams can come from heaven. I know that for some, they're like, well, some are dark dreams, some are soul dreams, some are just, you know, bad pizza dreams, some are spiritual dreams from heaven. Like, it all depends on the colors and the and the shapes and the shadows and the people. And I, I, I've taken those courses. I've listened to those people. They are highly intelligent. And I say, wow, amazing. As you know, I take a, I have a very radical approach to the goodness of God. I believe his goodness is always there. So even in my head, even if the enemy sends you a dream, I believe God's goodness is there, and he takes God, the evil dream that the enemy sends you and actually turns it into an opportunity to discern the enemy's plans, and he destroys the plans of the enemy by giving you discernment on how to understand what's going on in the dream. So I'm big about the goodness of God, even in dreams. So if, if I'm asked to do a dream interpretation, and, and I do get asked, I don't approach it by ever saying like, well, this one's, this one's evil. I approach it every time by saying, what is God trying to get through? What, what is God saying in this dream? I think sometimes the nightmares that people have, uh, I call it like the, the type of dream you have, uh, there's like a volume button. <laughs> and you know, sometimes we have like really nice, gentle dreams for for probably days or weeks, and we don't pay much attention to them because they're just nice little dreams. And then the volume gets turned up, and then we wake up one night and we're like, "Oh my God, what just happened?" And that's just the volume getting louder. Like God's trying to communicate, and he finally gets through because he might have. A, you know, maybe you woke up during the dream. 
but I don't think he sends you evil. I don't think he sends you nightmares. I do think he can send you good information and take advantage of those of those things by giving you good discernment about what the enemy's doing. Okay, enough about dreams. From my perspective, anyways. So here we go. So he sees that they're dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him at the master's house. He said, why do you look so sad today? Well, we both had dreams, they said, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. You see, they had grown up in a culture, right? If there was anybody that was going to interpret dreams, they had the job of dream interpretator, dream interpretation. They were, they were the sorcerers, the, the, um, astrologers, astronomers, astrologers. Uh, they were, they were the witches. They were, they were people in the court of, of Pharaoh. There were people on the, in the marketplace that you would go to soothsayers, palm readers, uh, spiritualists. You would go to them. Uh, you'd go to the, you know, the great grandma down the street who's blind, but could, you know, hold your hand and get, get interpreted. Like there was all kinds of ways that you would get dream interpretations, but none of those people were in prison. So they were bummed out. And Joseph's like, what's going on, guys? Why you seem so sad? They're like, oh, man, we had a dream last night. There's nobody around here we can talk to about it. He's like, oh, you can talk to me. I, you know, I'm in connection with the guy who gives all the dreams. So let me know what you, what you, what were your dreams? I'll interpret them for you. They're like, really? Get out. Okay. Like they were so excited. They were going to get some answers. So the cupbearer goes first. He's like, so in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and as soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened right into grapes, like boom, boom, boom. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. And Joseph, Joseph is listening. Now, if he's it, again, I only have my way of doing things kind of as, as, as a way to see this in, in my dream or in, you know, as the words are spoken. So I pictured Joseph nodding and listening and maybe even closing his eyes and kind of getting the full picture of what's going on. And he's like, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. And he's just interacting with heaven all the whole time. Like, what do, what do you see, God? What are you trying to say here, God? What are you trying to say? And he goes, all right, so this is what this means. Three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh's gonna lift up your head and restore your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you did when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh. Get me out of prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in the dungeon. So I want to pause there because this is important, I think. He says, in three days, you're going to be restored. You're going to be trusted by the Pharaoh once again. You're going to be trusted. Not only are you going to be released from prison, you're actually going to be restored to your position standing next to the Pharaoh. So he's been in prison for a year. I don't know who else has been doing his job, but maybe maybe they didn't do as good of a job. I don't, I don't know what the circumstances are in the palace that are going to cause Pharaoh to call his cupbearer back out of prison. What is going on spiritually that would allow the Pharaoh to say, yeah, I need that guy out of prison. I might've made a mistake or he's paid his dues or whatever. 
Like all of that to me is a is a vast mystery that allows for a ton of opportunity of imagination as to what went on and why the Pharaoh in essence changed his mind, which was not something Pharaoh did very often, which is why what Joseph said is even more uh, fascinating because here, right, is the first time Verse 15, we see the first time that he declares his innocence. It's the first time in the whole story of Joseph that Joseph says, what I did to get here is nothing. I, I literally have done nothing to deserve this. He says, I am, I am not a slave by birth. I was forcibly taken here, carried off from the land, my homeland, the land of the Hebrews. I am, not a, I am not a slave by choice. I didn't choose to go into slavery in order to, you know, make a living. I have been forced here to Egypt. I was forced into slavery and I've been forced into prison having done nothing wrong. Please remember me because things are going to go well for you. You're going to have the ear of the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh can get me out. Because if Pharaoh says, you know, Potiphar's servant is free to go, then I'm free to go. I don't need my job back. I'm not looking for that position again. I don't need to be recognized in the house of Pharaoh. I don't even need to be seen, you know, as innocent in anybody's eyes. I just want to go home. Very interesting little uh, interaction there. So the baker gets all excited, right? He's like, oh, this is awesome. We both had good dreams. So uh, yeah, this is, this is what happened to me. I, I also had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. On the top baskets were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. He's thinking, this is awesome, right? And, and Joseph's like, okay, listen, I don't... Mm, the three baskets are three days. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, you are not going to be trusted by Pharaoh because you can't protect him anymore. And the birds are generally scavengers, right? They are people who come and pluck things from unprotected, um, you know, animals on the ground or food on the on the you know on the on the ground or in the water, like they just, they come and eat what can't be protected. Things that have been thrown out for them. And so the Lord's saying, you're not going to make it. Pharaoh's going to be mad at you, still understanding that you didn't protect him and he's going to behead you in three days. And the birds will come and eat you. <laughs> and again, no, I, I would, I, I would have framed that differently, but that's okay. That's just me. This is the way Joseph framed it. The baker knows what's going on. Within three days, it was Pharaoh's birthday. Everybody's having a good time. I'm, I'm guessing a birthday party for Pharaoh probably went at least a week long. He gives a feast for all of his officials, and he brings out of prison the chief cupbearer and the chief baker into the presence of all his officials, and he restores the cupbearer to his position so he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. 
Maybe in all of this, Pharaoh recognizes, listen, the fly was something that was probably out of his control. And maybe he misses the advice that the guy gave because cupbearers often, because of the, again, because literally their position, their physical position was right next to Pharaoh during these parties. So they heard all the ambassadors and all the merchants that would come and speak to the king and and they would they would listen. They weren't they weren't advisors in the moment, but oftentimes Pharaoh's kings would look for kind of an outside voice, and cupbearers were often that trusted voice. So I'm guessing in some way the Pharaoh was missing that voice, and whoever was doing the job in between for that last year was somebody who he didn't like, maybe somebody who who saw it as a political advantage and was trying to to take advantage of his role. And the Pharaoh wanted somebody back who was just humble, uh, wise, um, and uh, he knew who to, who to get, so he got him. He brought him back. He lifted him up. But the chief baker, he did not. No, he impaled the baker just like Joseph said. He put him on a stake and, and stuck him outside. But it says the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So Joseph makes a plea for the first time, like I said, in verse 15. He's like, I'm innocent. I'm not a slave by birth. I'm not a slave by choice. I just want out of this unjust punishment. This is just not fair. It's the only time that we've seen Joseph try and go outside the, the plan of God, outside the, and again, I don't think it's God's plan for bad things to happen to Joseph. But as far as Joseph is concerned, he's he's looking at this going, all right, maybe I need to make something happen. I mean, this is, for a prison life, I've got a pretty good life. And for a slave's life, I had a pretty good life. But this is not my life. And it's not like I wanted to come down here. I'd like to go back. I'd like to go back. I'd like to see my father. I'd like to see my brothers. But man forgot Joseph. But God didn't. And that's always an encouragement, I think, for people. We often, we often come to a place where we think we're forgotten by everyone. Be confident God has not forgotten you. Why? Because he can't forget you. Because he made you and formed you from the beginning. He formed you in a place of love and light and hope. He formed you in a place where your true identity and destiny and, and origin are all places of purity and cannot be corrupted. It's a place of, of incorruption. That means it's impossible to corrupt what God has created. So even though you may feel left out and alone and disappointed and rejected, know that your identity is incorruptible because it was created in the beginning. From the beginning came your identity. From the beginning, you were created to represent the, the person of God, the character of God, and the atmosphere of heaven here in creation. And I strive to do better at that because I know it's possible, because I know it's within me. And I know that all of creation groans for the sons of God to understand their true identity. 
So I hope you do the same. And I'll see you again on The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Hey, everyone. Welcome once again to Bob Thoughts at the end of our show. Currently, I'm watching our new little puppy. His name is Kappa, and he is adorable, but you may hear him in the background because, well, because he's a little schnookum sometimes, and I don't know what it is about them, but they always seem to know just about the time that you need them to be quiet or still. It's like, oh, I should bite something and do something wrong. What is the deal with puppies? Anyways, he's adorable. And if you want lots of pictures, uh, you can follow him on Instagram under Zacapi, uh, Z-A-C-A-P-P-Y, makes me happy. All one word. And he's on Instagram, and he you can get to know uh, yeah, a little bit about his history, and there's photos of him, and he is just a doll. We've had him now. At the time of this recording, we've had him for a little over two weeks, and he's already gained like four pounds, and... He's a mini doxy and adorable, long-haired cream, and he is running around looking for trouble. Anyway, um, on to Joseph. I was—I just wanted to touch on this whole idea that, um, you know what what the that God caused bad things to happen in order for him to do good things. That he needed Joseph in prison, yada yada yada. And uh, I just—I don't buy it. You guys know that if you listen to us at all on the epic narrative, you know that I believe that God's goodness is always there because God never leaves you or forsakes you and there's nothing you can do to ever lose it. So you can get yourself or the enemy might get you into some pretty bad situations and God's goodness is always going to come through, just always is. And you may feel forgotten by God because that's what it feels like, but the truth is you're not forgotten by him because the truth overrides your feelings. And... Joseph felt alone, and I think that's why he asked the the um, the cupbearer to remember him. He was like, "Listen, I, I, you know, maybe God's forgot. Maybe I just need to go home, or at least get out of here. At least go back to my land. I might not be able to go back to my family, but because he has no idea. Remember, his dad's never reached out for him. He doesn't know what the story was back to the father. He knows that him and his brothers made a covenant not to tell anybody what happened." So he's not saying anything. He's keeping his end of, of the bargain. But at some level, I think he's he's wrestling. To me, it indicates a wrestling. And I that's a natural thing. Like, don't, don't think of yourself as being less than because you you have those feelings of being abandoned or you have those that those thoughts of God's doing this to me because I've been such a bad person or must have bad, made a bad choice or somebody I know, but he, you know, caused this, uh, me to be open to, to God, you know, had to, had to do this. Just, you know, live in your circumstances with the confidence that God's goodness has, has not left you. And that kind of confidence is what breeds hope and hope Hope can is is a is a one. <laughs> I, I double clutch because you you guys probably know this as well. You can live in hope and and be it's a really powerful place to live, but you can also 
when hope is delayed, it, it can really drive you crazy. And internally, you just feel it's like, why? Why am I hoping anymore? Why is there any hope? So just keep going back to the character of God. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's always good. He's always loving. He's always going to be there. I guess I said that a couple different ways, but go to those truths and hang on to them. You know, in my current situation, um, it's easy. It's an easy road to run down and be like, hey, God's forgotten us. Uh, we, we tried to obey him. We did what, you know, what he called us to do. And here we are, uh, still in an RV, still no job, real job. You know, I, I work, but it's not, I'm not making a living. I'm not even making bills, right? I'm just making them less expensive to take out of savings. And, and it's, you know, I could look at all that and be like, God, God, clearly I missed it. I have failed. Um, and you know, I just need to get right and get back with you so that your goodness can be around me again. And it's like, no, I haven't, I haven't missed it. And God's goodness is still there. And there's nothing uh, that has, you know, that I've lost because of this. There's always gain, always promotion, always um, opportunity to become deeper in our faith and in our trust and in our walk with God. There's just, that's what, that's what his goodness is always there for. He always makes you better always brings you closer to your true identity, to your purpose, to your destiny. And uh, that's what we believe. That's what we teach. And I believe it's all throughout Scripture. And we're going to see it again, I'm sure, next week on The Epic Narrative. everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.